and welcome to episode 35 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. Big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Hello, Courtney. Hello. How are you? I'm well. And you? I'm good. I'm drinking some lovely tea in a bookish mug. Very exciting. We got that tea from Anne Heffernan. Thanks, Anne. It's delicious. Yeah, it's Bewley's. Right. Well, we had some scheduling issues. So we have almost three weeks worth of stuff to talk about in On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, On the Nightstand. And then we have to do your Lemon Latitude giveaway. Yes, I'm very excited. So we should probably get to it. All right. right. What, What have you stitched? On the Needles. So many things. Should I do my Stitches review first? Because I went to Stitches, and Stitches West was awesome. Well, absolutely. So that was ooh, February 21st, I think, it started. So I went right after we recorded. It was lovely four days of Stitches West in Santa Clara, California. And I went for Friday and Saturday, which is my new thing that I started last year. And it was great. So Friday, I went down with my friend Telly, who was also a knitter. It was a lot of fun. Neither of us had a huge plan. Last year, we were both pretty focused on certain things that we wanted. And this year, we were both like, "Eh, I've got one or two things. We had both pre-bought a kit from Lady Dye Yarns that had yarn and a pattern and a bag and some other goodies. So we knew we had to go pick that up. And then we had also both bought into the Among Friends from a group of dyers who were all, or they weren't all dyers, some of them. There was a a woodworker who did spindles and there was a a pottery person as well, but they were all in the same area of the show floor. Um, And you got this fabulous giant tote bag with logo on it with the Golden Gate Bridge and a diverse group of people with knitting. And so you could carry that around. And then you also got 10% off at all of these various shops so that was fabulous Um, so we knew we had to pick that up as well but overall there wasn't a whole lot of things that we wanted so we were pretty content to wander around there were a couple you know our usual booths that we wanted to check out and we have kind of different color palettes that we were looking at and different knitting styles as well so the things we were looking at were pretty different there was one colorway where we both bought the same colorway but in different types of yarn. So I think I bought like a silk blend and she bought bought some worsted or something. It was almost like I got to shop for two people because I had the things I was looking for. And then she had things that I wasn't interested in, but I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. You should buy that. So little bonus enabling. So that was fun. Yeah. And it was pretty quiet both days. I'm not sure why. It just definitely seemed a lot more relaxed. They had started doing a Sunday was free to get in. The marketplace so I don't know if a lot of people were waiting for that but even the booths that are usually just jam-packed the entire time you could get in you could you didn't have to wait in line very long if at all that wasn't probably the best for the vendors but it was nice for us yeah so not to be totally crowded and to feel like you could really look at things and shop and chat without you know bothering people too much or you know taking up too much of the the vendors time so that was fun. I did buy I did buy some yarn, even though I didn't have a plan. Shocking. The one cool thing that is going to be my next sweater project that I'm kind of excited about, a couple of vendors had this, what they're calling slubby yarn. So it's fingering weight, but it has kind of poofs of fiber, fiber in it. Yeah. So it gives it a lot of texture. Well, and Linen often comes in a slub. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, oh, so linen fabric. Linen fabric, but I've seen it in the... What's that? I know who you're talking about. Out of New York City. Mm Mm-hmm. They do all the funky with like... Habu. Habu, sorry. Yeah. That's a 10-year-old memory at work right there. But that has some slub to it too, doesn't it? Hmm. A lot of their natural fiber ones. Could be. Well, it's all natural fiber there, I think. Anyhow. So anyway, yeah. So a bunch of them had it. And we were looking around a booth, and one of the people working at the booth was wearing a sweater made out of this yarn. And so I was asking her about it because it was it was kind of like a bubblegum pink or a cotton candy pink with some multicolors slubs in it. 
really cute. So she said what she had done was to hold that, hold the slubby yarn with, I think she just did it with a plain fingering weight in white to fill in kind of the places, make it a little more even, uh, make it a little bit bigger yarn. And she had done a slightly modified weekender sweater and looks super cute. I didn't think that I would be able to pull off that much pink or at least that shade of pink. So, but they had some other options of the yarn. So I went with, it's called Oil Slick, I think is the colorway. It's a really dark blue green with that kind of black sheen. And then, and this is gonna sound really weird, but this is what she advised and she works in a yarn store. So the other yarn is a cream yarn with big swaths of magenta and that same teal, dark teal. So it could be weird, but I have some. <laughs> I have seen, and I have not had a chance to swatch with it yet. But I have seen some really amazing things with people who have held mohair and fingering weight together. So a really thin, fuzzy yarn, and a regular, really thin yarn, and it will totally change the look. So I think this is going to be similar. Where you'll just have maybe some little pops of color, but it'll mostly be that blue green feel. Um, so I'm excited to start on that. Which I should be able to do pretty soon um, and I will report back well we await and then Saturday I went back I hit the marketplace again for an hour or so I did get talked into another sweaters worth <laughs> of yarn because I was in the sincere sheet booth and the designer was there and she was modeling this really like oversized shrug wrap Fun. thing so yeah and then sincere sheep was part of the among friends discount group. So I figured if I was ever going to buy the yarn for this project, now was the time to do it. So I did. And then I went to the podcaster meetup in the hotel lobby, which was lovely and saw some friends and chatted and did some knitting. And it was great. So well, thank you for representing us. Once again, a lovely, lovely event. If they had a gouache conference, I would go to the podcaster meetup on our behalf. Alas, nice alas. <laughs> you should start one. A gouache conference? You're right, I should. Maybe not right at this moment, but yeah, in a little bit. In Which between was... you going to Stitches and us having that mm -hmm. conversation about my making like a cute mm -hmm. scarf or shawl, I did climb onto Ravelry mm. and went through about a million different patterns and designs, and I put a whole bunch into my favorites. Sure. And... Next step is to decide and purchase yarn. I have only a handful of skeins of yarn, so I do believe that I will have to purchase for this. Well, I am available for a field trip should you <laughs> <Okay>. need me. <laughs> so then actual knitting at Stitches among the yarn that I bought was some turquoise yarn that I made into a hat for Courtney because yes. it was her birthday and she deserved a hat. Well, and she was never going to knit it first. So. <laughs> That's true. And I was headed to Connecticut, part of our scheduling break here, although hopefully the, the listeners won't notice it, but we had to take a little, a little break for me to fly back to Connecticut for a family funeral. And it snowed while I was home, Ooh. so the hat went on. Excellent. Yes. Did it fit? It's a little roomy, but it's good yeah. because it holds all my hair. Excellent. That was what I was thinking. So the pattern is the Murnong hat by Georgie Nicholson. And Courtney had talked about that two episodes ago, maybe. Something like that. The Murnong is the Aboriginal name for the yam daisy, which is a cultivated Aboriginal Australian food. It's like a little fingerling potato type thing, but it, I guess it tastes like coconut. Oh. And I had come across that pattern when I was looking at Australian yarns for our yarn folks, and Monica surprised me with it, and it's adorable. And there's a picture on, you put a picture on Instagram while I was away, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So what color would you call the blue? Teal or pool or... Okay. I was thinking, it's pretty turquoise. That was what I was looking for. Yeah, it's, it's your a... Blue. It's not a loud turquoise, though. It's, no, it's, it's a very soft. Calm. So, yeah, yeah, the yarn is from Sincere Sheep. It's her Eureka DK, and her yarns are all naturally dyed. So the official colorway name is Hothor's Gem, which I had to look up to figure out what this was supposed to be. But apparently Hothor is a Egyptian deity 
and it is another word for turquoise. Excellent. Yeah, I so love I that was learning interesting. That. Um, so that was most of the hat was in that colorway and that yarn. The actual pattern starts off with a ribbed band and then has some stripes. And then the top part of the hat has the flower pattern. I knew it had two colors, but I was thinking, well, maybe I'll just skip the stripes. I'll do it as one color. And then as I was knitting the band, I realized, I remembered this yarn that I had, I had made socks from years ago. And it's this sort of butter yellow with little splashes of mint green, almost really pale. And I thought I could hold that double. It would become the same weight of yarn and it would look really nice for the stripes. Be a nice kind of contrast, add a little more interest. And then I started knitting the pattern a little more. And I realized the way it's designed, the top of the hat is in the stripe color, which I decided I didn't want to do because I didn't think I had actually that much yellow and I wanted the blue to be the focus. So I think it's... I think it turned out cute. You can agree or not. I love it. I so, love it. It is. I and will it has a pom-pom. And it has a pom-pom. Selling point. Always fun because I did have a decent amount of the blue yarn left over. I will say it's a really well-written pattern. I think it is sized pretty big. There were, when I was looking at the samples uh, or the other examples of people who had knit it, there were several people that said they had gone down you know, that they have an adult size head and they went to child or even down two sizes, you know, they made for their six-year-old, they made the baby size. So I did take that into account. So the hat I made for you is actually the child size. Oh my gosh, no yeah. way. It's definitely big. Um, so if you're interested in knitting it, do take that into account. But that was a fun and fast knit. Well, thank you. Much appreciated. Mm-hmm. I finished my Vanilla's The New Black Socks in the Hellbent Feminist She-Devil colorway. <laughs> And so I was able to go do stitches and buy many more of her colorways, different ones. I may have bought four or so. Some of them are going to be for gifts. Um, That is from the White Birch Fiber Arts. And she has really, really great colorways. Because I really liked this super vanilla pattern. Good. Except Except for the heel, but it's easy enough to do. So that was fun. I also finished my gnome, my mystery gnome. I think I had started it last time. I can't remember. Anyway, so the pattern is Gnome is Where You Hang Your Hat by Sarah Shira, who is Imagine Landscapes on Ravelry, and she has a podcast by that name as well, and she does lots of gnome things. So it's a mystery gnome. You get, I think it was 11 clues over about two and a half weeks. Um, so just little tidbits, you know, every couple of days. She worked in, she was at Stitches West, actually, even though she's from Canada. And so she had worked in a couple of break days that she could, you know, be doing her Stitches West thing and not have to monitor knit-along issues. So he's really cute. He's a colorwork gnome, and you started knitting his hat in two different colors. It's super long, very tall hat. <laughs> and then you start knitting his body, and the body was also the same colorwork. There was definitely a third color that she had called for, but you so far you're just doing these two colors. Um, you put a tassel on the end of the hat in the third color. And then the bottom, the stand, after you stuff him, then you knit it closed. That part was in the third color. Then you do his arms and his face. And then we, like, he was done. All And you do a cute little beard. She came up with a new way that makes this curly sort of Cthulhu-looking tentacly beard. Very cute. But then there was still another clue. So everyone was wondering, what what else is there? Like, we've knit all of the parts. So you make him a sweater in the third (laughs) color with a little bit of color work on the band. So my little gnome, who's not so little, he's probably a foot high, also has a sweater. And I have not posted pictures of him yet. There is a restaurant on Treasure Island here in the city, well, in the, in the middle of the bay, that has an outdoor garden. And the last time I was there, I noticed they had a sign that says, please keep out gnomes only. Oh. So I wanted to take him back and, do, and take a picture of him with that sign. But I don't have any events coming up on the island, so... We'll see if that happens or not. I will. I need to post a picture for the for the knit along, but I have not done that yet. And then I have also been working on my porthole cowl, which, whoo, flash from the past. Which one is that? That is the one. It's two-color cowl, two gradients that you start with the dark end of one gradient and the light end of the other. And you do some slip stitches, and it looks like there's dots all over your cowl. So one of my gradients is kind of a gray to white and the other is it's an ocean gradient so it's various shades of blue. Okay. I started it in August. 
And then I took a long break because I was working on all sorts of other things. Um, and then I needed, I think I had finished my socks, but I hadn't started a new pair and I didn't have yarn wound up um, and I was going to a regatta. So I needed something to work on in between the races and I pulled that out and it's been super fun. So I've gotten a little more progress done on that and I've kind of got that back in the rotation. And then I sort of finished my Brickyard sweater. It is technically mm-hmm. done. Well, technically done. Sweater is by Elizabeth Doherty. The yarn I used was a Studio DK from Neighborhood Fiber Company in their Sanctuary City colorway. It is various shades of blue. I am definitely on a blue kick. <laughs> so, wow. which is not unexpected. That is yeah. also my color. So I have technically finished knitting it last night. The top part, the arms, the shoulders, the bust fit amazing. It's a great pattern. I love it. The A-line is not looking spectacular on me. And I don't know why. So I did bring it with me and I want to try it on after so we can okay. talk about the fit. Yeah, I have several like A-line tank uh, tunic is shirts. Is it too loose? I think, I think maybe what it is is that because I'm doing it at a slightly bigger gauge that maybe it's not as drapey. So it's sort of standing out at an odd angle. So I think maybe if I, instead of making it A-line, just make it more straight with maybe a little bit of shaping and leave kind of the tunic yeah. looseness, it'll look better. Elizabeth Doherty was at Stitches West, and she always brings a bajillion samples of her patterns so that you can try things on and see how the sizes look. She has a couple of designs that you can knit in different lengths, and everyone generally thinks, oh, I can never wear a crop sweater, and then they'll try it on and be like, oh, actually, that looks really good. So that's why she has them. But I tried a sample on there, and it looked fine on me. And yeah, and I have several shirts that are A-line that look fine, so not entirely sure what, what happened here. But the top part of it looks great, and that's all the complicated, so I'm pretty okay with ripping out the body and just messing around with that because everything else about it is beautiful. Okay. So it's, you know, kind of done. (laughs) We will report back on that as well. And I did start another pair of Vanillas, the New Black, in some white birch fiber arts urine. I forget what the colorway is. Wow. Although we're not having any more meetings for a while. So I'll just have to knit it now. But that is it for me. Okay. What is on the easel? I am still painting things, all things Australian. And of course, I had a, a death in the family, so I lost a little bit of time in the studio, but gained some important family time, and therefore, I'm good with that. Australia is still going strong. I think I'm about two-thirds of the way done with the illustrations that are that I have planned in my head. Mm-hmm. I have a landscape happening with the... Sydney Opera House. Ooh. I have an array happening with the city of Adelaide, which is one of our listeners' favorite places, Hmm. which I thought was fun. And there are a couple more things that I want to do for Australia. As I have said, I will never be able to cover this entire country or any entire country for sure. So when I wrap up Australia, I think I'm going to switch to a smaller place for a few illustrations. And then I'm going to have my Instagram followers vote on my next place. Oh, fun. Yeah, I think that'll be good because I, in my head, I can't decide on two. And I think it will be fun to see what people want to see more of or learn more about. So your Instagram is... Courtney SF? Courtney SF. Courtney SF. But I could do it on the podcast Instagram too. Just in stories, you know, so that people can vote. Sure. That's my big project right now. It was, what I'm loving about this project isn't just the momentum that it's given me for painting and cooking and reading, but also when I was back in Connecticut talking to my brother about his favorite places and talking to cousins about theirs. And I mean, it is a great conversation starter, but it also brings out stories that I never knew. So I really love the depth that this project is bringing to my family life as well. The other project that is ongoing this year is that five by five grid pad 
that Daria and I are painting on. So the grid project is this paper pad from A Case for Making, which is an art shop here in San Francisco. And they made a 10 inch square pad of watercolor paper that has a five by five grid that's letter pressed into it. And so the squares are raised and the gutters are impressed. Daria, who is Hey Hooray on Instagram, she was down here and we had a field trip to that place and we decided let's just paint this grid this year and see what, a lot of people use it for color samples or swatches, but we're mm -hmm. doing, we're doing different arrays. So we have a theme for each month and it's just a little mini project before we jump into our regular practice. We, we did citrus in February and March is cups. So now I'm almost a week behind, <laughs> but it's okay. I started doing some little cup samples yesterday. A lot of my teacups are just all white and that's not very exciting. And I thought I could do the background but the grid, the way that that grid paper is made, it's... And so each square is like an inch? Each square is an inch and three quarter. Oh, okay. Which is pretty tiny. I mean, yeah. it's bigger than a postage stamp, but it's there's not a lot to do detail, which is hard for me because I love detail. So it is an opportunity for growth. And it's... I did the first one. I made so many mistakes. I jumped all over the grid. I didn't just start in one corner and move my way, you know, from left to right, the top down. I painted an orange here. I painted an orange in the middle. I painted, you know, which wasn't the smartest thing because then you're, when you're painting mm -hmm. an orange on the far left, your hand might be on the lemon that you painted yesterday. And that just made me a little nervous. So I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to do it more cons consecutively. Mm -hmm. But one of the charming things about the internet is that people will post their coffee cup picture where they're, here's my tea and I'm setting down for the day. And so I think I'm going to do other people's teacups and just grab them off the internet and give credit, you know, when I can and, and just feature different cup shapes and let it be a little looser than I did with the citrus. So... I had some sketches going yesterday, and I think that that's probably the course. Plus, you gave me that beautiful ceramic mug, and I've really been wanting to paint that. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that that gets a. I love the oranges. You had told me about the grid, and so I sort of could envision it. But when I saw the whole final project, it was just so charming and adorable. And I did love the leaf going into the second one. Thank you. I thought that was really cute. Yeah, and it was fun to see how Daria approached hers so differently. Hers were slices, so it looked really unified, and she didn't have lines, so her color palette was different than mine, whereas I had or I had limes and I had leaves and I did shadows. <laughs> anyway, it will be interesting to see to continue to compare the two. We need to, I told her, we need to come up with a hashtag so that we can see our pieces side by side because yes. there's no real way to do that. So that's our grid project. And then I'm still thinking about what to do for the 100-day project, which is coming All up right. in April. I really still want to become more proficient with portraits. I'm working on an Australian portrait right now and I've done it twice and I'm still not sure that I like it. And then my project for the sketchbook project, which mm -hmm. something is brewing. I was thinking maybe corners, corners of the house or I had a dream mm. that I opened up cupboards and just painted the inside of cupboards and there was this room full of cupboards and open them up and you know how people mm -hmm. stack all their games inside or neat and tidy cupboards. I was gonna say I don't know that I want anybody looking at my <laughs> cupboards. <laughs> That's not pretty. Well I'm I'm still percolating but the lemon latitude is my main focus. I'm still super excited about it. When I came home from Connecticut there were six more surveys waiting for me. 
I'm just, I love the responses that I'm getting. And I want to, when we announce the podcast winner, so this is somebody who has, who's a podcast listener and submitted a survey. I'll tell you a little bit more about some of the favorite places that I'm getting from people because I think that will be fun. So what have you been cooking while I've been back and forth across the great United States? So busy you are. Um, so I had a birthday week at my house. Boy two had a birthday. So it was all sorts of child-friendly favorites. So we had pasta, Alfredo one night, we had pizza, we had tacos. So it was great, super easy, didn't have to think about anything while I was cooking, but not the most exciting material. The actual birthday dinner was lasagna. I do it in my slow cooker. The recipe is from Cook's Illustrated Slow Cooker Revolution. Um, But I do use gluten-free lasagna noodles. You boil them until they're al dente and so a little bit undercooked, um, and then a normal kind of lasagna layering with ricotta and parmesan, and I think you put mozzarella in there as well, um, and sausage. So, and I had the hardest time finding gluten-free lasagna noodles. I had to go to four, maybe even five stores before I could find them, which was not the case in years past. So I'm not sure people just stopped making them or, or what. So that was... What brand, a little, what brand do you use in case people are looking for a similar? Uh, I cannot remember what it was called. Maybe you can link to it in the show notes. Yes. But yeah, but but there used to be several of them out there, and I'm, I'm not sure if people just stopped making them or, or what happened. But I did find them, so it all worked out. Husband had to go with a frozen, gluten-free, vegetarian lasagna because I will only make so many lasagnas at once. But boy was happy with, with that with that meal. And then his birthday cake was, I made a chase leches cake, which was delicious and was gluten-free and was definitely better on the second day. I think I had not realized how much time was called for letting it all soak, all the milks soak. If you're not familiar, it's basically a vanilla cake and you mix, I think it's evaporated milk, regular milk, and sweetened condensed milk and poke holes in your cake after you've baked it and let it all soak in and it's i've never made one of those it's really easy i mean it's basically a cake and yeah soak a bunch of stuff in it it called for at least three hours of soaking and i think i only did about two and a half but it was still delicious and then we had some leftovers that were even better the next day so it was really good yeah so that was it for the birthday week I got a new cookbook out of the library called Vegan Vegetarian Omnivore by Anna Thomas, which I was very excited about. Her whole idea is there's so many different ways people are eating now. So instead of, you know, making a roast chicken and trying to figure out how you're going to make it work for everyone at your table, start with what you know everyone can eat, which is going to be something vegan or vegetarian probably, and then kind of add on to that. So most of her recipes are either vegan or vegetarian. Then she has several menus in there. Um, and then, but then she does have a section of sort of for a crowd meat dishes, like a roast chicken or, you know, roast mm-hmm. pork, things like that. So I think the issue for me was that it is much more of an entertaining cookbook. So not generally weeknight friendly. Um, and she's also definitely a chef. So it's lots of building of flavors and yeah. Which, Which again, isn't terrible, it's just no, not yeah. for Tuesday night. Exactly. Yeah. But I did try out a couple of recipes. One that we really liked was a tomato soup with chickpeas and Moroccan spices. Um, and I served that with spicy lamb meatballs, which is what she suggested. So that was also from that book. It was a really super chunky tomato soup with chickpeas and Moroccan spices. And it reminded me, and you put some rice in it, and I feel like one of your soup one- recipes... That was from Tuesday nights, yeah. the Milk Street cookbook, and it just called for two tablespoons of long grain rice. Yeah, this was like a quarter cup yeah. and, you know, bajillion. And that was one of, of our favorite. I've since yeah. made it again. Yeah. So this was really good. People um, really liked it, and it had a lot of things going on. And then we, the boys and I had the, the lamb meatballs as well. And actually, boy two had leftovers in his lunchbox the next day, so... That's always a good sign if they want to yeah. continue eating that. So that was fun. And she does have, for Thanksgiving, 
She does a whole roast pumpkin stuffed with like a rice pilaf kind of thing that sounds kind of amazing that I want to I book love note pumpkin. For, for Steamed later. pumpkin, like smashed like a mashed potato oh. with salt and pepper. and Yeah, this one I think you like take the whole pumpkin, scoop out the inside, and then put things in it and bake that whole thing and kind of serve and then slice it like a like you would a roast Like a turkey. turducken. Yep, except it's a pumpkin. So bookmarking that one for later when I have a, a moment when I need to have something super impressive. But yeah, again, not a Tuesday night yeah. option. Um, and then we had talked about the Instant Pot chocolate cake, and I did make it, and it was amazing. So this, Bravo. One, this one is on the Food 52 website, um, and it is the best Instant Pot chocolate cake. I don't know if it's the best. It's the only one I've had. It was delicious. Um, so the tricky part is you, you, you need an instant well, sorry, instant, so you need an instant pot. <laughs> you also need a seven inch uh, springform pan, which a lot of these recipes call for. I think when you make like lasagna in the instant pot, they have you cook it in there and it comes with a little trivet. So you're basically steaming it in there. So you make the cake, you put it in the pan, cover it with foil, put it on the trivet in the pan with some water in the bottom. So kind of like a water bath for your mm -hmm. oven, same idea, except it's in the Instant Pot. But, you know, you can get the, the pan on Amazon or wherever. I'm sure kitchen stores have it. It's not terribly complicated. But it's a super simple cake. You melt the chocolate and the butter, a lot of butter, and it calls for European full, like, extra fat butter. I don't know if it's extra fat or just... I think a lot everybody of should, if you're going to use butter, you might as well go the distance. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, a lot of... A lot of deliciousness there. Regular sugar, brown sugar, some vanilla, what, eggs. What kind eggs of chocolate? I just used, I think I just used chocolate chips. Like semi-sweet. That's so easy. Morsels. Yeah, it didn't specify what you needed. I'm sure you could use, you know, fancier baking chocolates or whatever you wanted, but um, that worked fine. Yeah, so then you steam it in your Instant Pot, basically, and then it, you know, sits, has to cool... To room temperature for two hours and then you just got this light creamy mass of chocolatey deliciousness did you serve it with anything i did, did not you definitely could have put a little bit of cream on there but mm -hmm. it was fine on its own excellent and it's only seven inches so it you know does not last forever which is good <laughs> and bad so you're not you can only nibble on it for a few days and then my conundrum now is in our new Bay Area coronavirus lifestyle. My husband is currently working from home. My son's school just got closed for two weeks. One of my son's schools just got closed for two weeks. So he's home now. So now I feel like I need to start making lunches. Because I can scrounge around the house and have stuff right. just for me. But there are three basically adults at home. Two of whom are gluten-free. One of whom is a vegetarian. So I feel like I need to do a little more planning. So if people have any suggestions... Of easy lunch things. I would love to hear them. None of my, all of mine involve gluten. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the thing. Like a lot of them, you look like, oh, we'll make a pasta salad, serve things on crackers. And there's workarounds. Yeah. So, we shall see. I guess I could just start doubling up. That's what I would dinner do initially. Even more. But then I have to remember to do that. Oh, well. I am lucky that we are all able to. Yes. We're all healthy. Okay. And that's it. How about you? Well... Even though I had a little trip, I did do some cooking before and after. You know that amazing cookbook, How to Cook Everything by mm. Mark Bittman? I turned to it a couple weeks ago for, I needed a, a biscuit. The, the family wanted um, chicken and dumplings, mm. and I keep failing with the dumplings. I had that recipe from the King Arthur site, and I felt like they were way too dense and... I don't know. I've just, I haven't struck on a dumpling recipe that's fluffy. Does Cook's Illustrated have one? Oh, uh, I didn't look in there, but I will. Anyway, I went to the, the Mark Bittman and found a yogurt biscuit, like a, and I had some whole fat plain yogurt in the fridge, the exact right amount for the recipe. And so I just made biscuits and baked them off and served them with a, my generic chicken stew, and there was not a single left over. So that was a crowd pleaser, and they were really easy. 
And I feel like you could shred in a little bit of cheddar and chive if you wanted to. It's it seemed like a really versatile recipe. I don't I didn't check yet to see if it's available online, but his stuff usually is, so we'll see. And so you did biscuits and not dumplings. Yeah, I just did chicken stew with biscuits instead of chicken and dumplings. Yeah. Then I went to go visit my gluten-free people. And I took a frittata because that's the only for sure, surefire, gluten-free thing that I feel comfortable making. She's particularly sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, And she has two new baby boys, so I really couldn't mess it up. And in fact, I made her test it. So she has an an Nemo. It's, um, It's a little device that she can take to restaurants and put a sample of her food in, and it will test to make sure that it's gluten-free. Oh, wow. And that's a company that's based here in San Francisco, and I found myself telling somebody in Connecticut about it who's also quite sensitive. So I feel like that's worth mentioning. In fact, I'll put that in the show notes too. Yes, please. So I took an asparagus and yellow squash frittata, Mm. and this is a new-to-me recipe, so I'll share that in the show notes. I did dice up some cheddar cheese and just put a little bit in so that it would be, you know, for texture. And then I took a batch of Ricciarelli cookies Mm. up. Again, a new to me recipe. I found a different one because the last time that I made the Ricciarellis, they weren't quite right. And maybe I went overboard on the orange or maybe I don't care so much for that orange profile. But this one, they were perfect. And I even got myself a little cookie scoop, the two tablespoon one for just to help portion out cookies better. Otherwise, if I make a cookie, it comes out four inches big. (laughs) So I thought that that would be... Which is not necessarily a problem. No, it's not terrible, but they go a lot faster when they're four inches wide or across rather than two. So I have a new Ricciarelli recipe for folks. And then I had some lobster, winter lobster in Mm. Connecticut. That's always kind of a family treat and I I don't think I've ever had lobster in the winter time before because whenever I go home it's usually in the summer and we do the summertime outdoor lobster thing the shell was so thick I had forgotten or didn't think about the differences I guess a little bit different flavor than I remembered but it was still kind of fun sorry (laughs) vegans and vegetarians I won't go into detail about eating a lobster And then when I came back, I had a book from the library, The Defined Dish by Alex Snodgrass. And this is um, kind of a Whole30 cookbook. Mm -hmm. So lots of gluten-free recipes in there. And I made the one pan Mexican chicken and rice skillet. My family loves any variation on this theme but the spices in this one were fantastic. Lots of paprika and a little bit of cumin, oregano, tomato paste, really full-bodied flavor. There was not anything left over. And because I have teens who eat double, I added in black beans, a can of black beans. Mm. And I added, I just had a little bit of tiny diced cheddar cheese and you know you could put a little cheddar cheese on it too. They loved it. It was it was a crowd pleaser. Do you use two pans to make things, or do you just throw everything in one Throw pan? it all in one. Okay. Super easy cleanup. It, at this point, I need a bigger skillet for this nonsense, though, because yeah. if I fill that skillet and I think it looks like a lot, and then there's none left over, then that's... And even later on, the 13-year-old was like, I'm still hungry. I'm going to go get a second dinner. Yeah. So they're just growing like weeds right now. Yep. But that was kind of the extent of my cooking. I did eat a lot of citrus when I was painting all the citrus <laughs> fruit last month, and I suspect I will have a lot of cups of tea this month. Both good things. Yes. Excellent. All right, on the nightstand. So I finished 112263 by Stephen King. I you listened, listened to all, all 30 hours. hours. I did finally <laughs> go up to one and a quarter speed. And? Thank goodness. Oh my gosh. Did you notice the difference? For that one, not really. Good. 
the book I'm listening to now is still on one and a quarter just because it just puts yeah. you in there. And that one I can tell and it is a little bit annoying. I'm trying to work through it because you do get through the books much <laughs> faster. So this is his epic novel um, that revolves around the assassination of JFK. There's time travel. Lots of things happen. A lot of things happen. Things 30 hours long. There could have been some editing. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought the history was super detailed. He does a little bit of glossing over of not white people issues. The 60s were a lovely time if you were a white person, I think. Sure. um, He touches on it, but so that was a little bit annoying, but that wasn't the focus of the story. Yeah, there were a lot of things about it that I liked. I really did think there needed to be some editing. That's a fair call with a lot of these big 500 plus and I think that was like 800 pages, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. yeah. So, but overall, I enjoyed it. If you have, have some time to kill, then check it out. It's definitely a page, or, you know, well, what would have been a page turner if I was actually reading it at the end. Very exciting. My Not- husband really enjoyed it. And he's, a you know, Alex Cross, James Patterson, Tom Clancy. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's definitely an adventure thing. I mean, the guy goes back in time to try and save JFK is the setup, but time fights back. Time does not want to be changed. So he's battling, you know, things keep happening. He's trying to figure out, is Lee Harvey Oswald really the only shooter? Because, like, if he's not, then you've got to figure out who else is. So there's a lot of mystery adventure things. There's definitely some gruesome parts that, I mean, it's Stephen King, so I guess he felt it was necessary. I didn't necessarily feel they were needed but um so you should probably be aware of that if that is not your thing but it's not a horror book like I would think of I mean I haven't read any of his horror ones because that is not my genre but this one was just a little little violent at times um then I also finished The Secret Chapter by Genevieve Cogman which is book five in the Invisible Library series uh this is there's a secret library. Our heroine is one of the librarians that travels the multiverse. It just <laughs> makes me laugh. I'm it sorry. makes you laugh every time. It's fine. <laughs> it's a little bit ridiculous. She travels the multiverse, saving original copies of books, and that affects the balance of the universe. There's dragons and fairies, and they represent opposite sides of the spectrum. This one is was kind of fun. It was a heist, so they have to. They want a certain book from a rich and powerful man so he puts together a team and says all right you guys go steal this painting and i'll give you whatever you want so there's double dealing and it's stealing the painting and working out the team and how are all these people going to work together so it was pretty fun you could probably read it on its own but to fully understand the relationship between the characters and whatnot you should probably start with the first one um i read a quick little Novella Half Spent Was the Night by Amy McKay, which is kind of a sequel to The Witches of New York. So more fantasy. Quick little book. I think it was maybe 100 pages. They're witches in New York. It's Victorian times. This particular one is uh, Christmas Ball. There's a demon haunt, uh, stalking one of the witches and they have to defeat him. So it took me, I don't know, two hours to read or something. It was very fast. And then I read The Bromance Book Club by Lissa K. Adams, which was delightful. So (laughs) this one is a romance with a little different spin in that kind of our main character is a guy. He is a professional baseball player and he and his wife are having a lot of problems. They have a big fight, break up, and he's very upset. So his friends decide that he is ready to become part of their book club in which they read romance novels in order to become better partners for their women <laughs> that is like, amazing you are crazy and his friends are like no these are books written by women for women that basically say this is what we want it is a field guide to what women are looking for <laughs> that is amazing it is awesome so he's like reading the he's having to read this romance novel and then apply the lesson and it's it's more than it's not just that he's saying these things his friends are like you need to figure out what the issues are like why is she like what is your backstory what is her backstory why why are you behaving in these ways and how can you fix it what does she really want like you're telling her that you love her but she's not believing you how can you make her like what do you have to do so it's really sweet 
very cute, and I think she's writing a series. There's another one coming out in a few months, and I'm really excited. It was adorable. And his friend, like, they're dudes. They're, they're Major League Baseball players and coaches, and <laughs> so they're manly men. And, um, yeah, so it was really fun. I really like that one. And then I read Long Pedal in the Sea by Isabel Allende, her latest. It starts off during the Spanish Civil War in 1936. Victor is our hero. He is a medical student in the war, and his brother dies in the war, leaving a pregnant girlfriend. Uh, he and her and the mom have to flee the country, and in order, then there is a ship leaving uh, to take the immigrants to Chile, and but he will only take immediate family members, so he has to marry his brother's ex so that she and the baby can come along with him. And they don't like each other very much. So the story goes on from there, their life in Chile, all the things they do, and then Chile has a revolution. So there's a lot of issues. It takes us all the way up to early 80s, I think, their whole life story. Do they uh, stay married? Oh, their plan is not. I'm no not, spoiler. That was a, that was a, their plan is to stay together for the kid um, until he's 18. But the story goes beyond that, so. Okay. Who knows? Um, She's not telling. Not telling. Can't even read her face. There's, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a whole lot of things that go on in the story. You liked it. I think the translation was maybe a little stilted at times because it didn't flow as much as I would have expected. But really good story. A lot of interesting history about both countries and, and, and kind of South American history in general because there's a another character who actually they both end up traveling to the different nations within South America. So there's a lot of a lot of Latin history going on. So so yeah, worth worth checking out. And then I listened to The Unquiet Dead by Asma Zahanet Khan. Um, this is a murder mystery. I think she's Canadian. Anyway, it takes place in Canada. And it is the first of a series with the two detectives are Rachel Getty and Issa Katak, and they specialize, they are members of the community policing services, so they kind of come in when there are issues involving minority communities to make sure that the police and the communities are able to understand each other and, you know, help out with cultural differences and things like that. And it said it was the first book in the series, but it's, Rachel keeps referencing the when they worked on a different case, so I'm not sure if she's going to go back and write that one later or, or how that works out, but... So this one, a wealthy man falls to his death walking along a bluff near his house. And as they go in, it turns out he may have been a escaped fugitive Bosnian war criminal. So there would actually be a lot of people interested in having him dead. So they're trying to investigate and figure out mm -hmm. if it in fact is this man. And if it is, then who killed him? Or did anybody kill him? Was it actually just a... Tragic accident. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a good mystery, but it was a little bit difficult listening or reading the Isabel Allende and listening to this one because they talk a lot about uh, the war crimes in Bosnia, and at the same time, I'm reading a book that involves the war crimes in, during the Spanish Civil War and in Chile. So it was a lot of a lot of difficult. A lot of war crimes. A lot of war crimes all at once. But um, it's not. Like you confused the two books. No, this is true. They were very different work, different countries, different authors, different writing styles. So yeah, different time periods too. So that helped. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'd recommend that one as well. And I will probably check out the additional books in the series. And then and I was done with library books. I still have like 20 in my I'm queue. never done with library. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but they're all either on hold or not available yet. So okay. technically I did not have any library books in my house or on my Kindle or whatever. Um, so I got to finish reading The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern. I had started that before Christmas and then had to put it on hold because I had all, all my library books. So it was a little bit confusing coming back to it about halfway through, but it was really, it's a fabulous book. I loved it. Um, I think if you like Night Circus, then you'll probably like this. It has that same kind of dreamlike quality, fantastical images and really cool. The main plot is Zachary Ezra Rollins is a grad student at a small college and he finds a book 
misplaced on the shelves, pulls it off, starts reading it, and it's a series of vignettes. And the third one is something that happened to him when he was a kid. It's an actual description. So he starts researching the book and where did it come from, and it goes on from there. So there are adventures. There's an there's another underground library. It seems to be a theme for me. It's kind of meta. They're like you're reading this book, and then he's talking about the book, and that's the book you're reading. But then it's his story, which is also happening in the book. There's people lost in time. There's and it's it's a pretty big book. Really beautiful and well written, and you're kind of like reading a dream. So it's kind of hmm. I liked it a lot. And then I'm currently listening to and reading young adult books. So a little bit of angsty stuff going on, but not too bad. But I'll talk All about right. next time. That's what happens when you have three weeks. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Although I didn't <laughs> I well, didn't read that much because I had other stuff happening. But that's what happens when I have three weeks. <laughs> right. Um, I do have a couple to tell you about, though. I read The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Daray. This is this was a book of the month release last month, but it's getting great reviews and I'm so glad because I really appreciated it. This is about Aduni and it takes place in Nigeria and she is growing up in somewhere far from Lagos, but eventually lands in Lagos. She lost her mother and she is married off at age 14 to a man who has who's her father's age and has two other wives and she lands in this complicated household she's not there for very long and she escapes and i give that some air quotes because she escapes basically into domestic slavery um in lagos and she finds herself in this immensely wealthy compared to what she came from household and it's abusive for sure and that part is a little bit hard to read those those moments but she is so she has this real strength of character and vision and she the words of her mother echo with her through a lot of this and she knows that her only freedom is to earn an education and she had had some schooling when her mother was alive so she fights for it and she finds herself a couple allies and and I think it's it's a really beautiful read. It's also has a tremendous cadence to it. The author Abby Daray was trying to emulate that broken English that is spoken in Nigeria and she captures it in in a way that's almost, it becomes really natural to read. I didn't find it difficult, not even in the beginning. It's kind of beautiful the way this character comes alive through that cadence alone, Mm. um, but also through her growth in the book. So that is The Girl with the Louding Voice, and that takes place in present-day Nigeria. And then I am working my way through... Carpenteria, which is written by an Aboriginal author out of Australia named Alexis Wright. And it is telling some of the dream time stories that the Aboriginal people, those are, that's how, that's their belief and creation story or stories. It's a little bit difficult to see where I'm at timeline wise because it's quite non-linear. And so that one is is a slower read for me right now. I took it to Connecticut, but it required a little bit more concentration than I was able to muster. Is that the same author as the Swan book? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It is. And then I read The Mercies. I'm not sure how I came across this book. I think when I did that initial search for great international fiction. That's how I landed on this title, but it came through in my library. And so I must, I must read it. Yes. It is written by Kieran Millwood Hargraves. And this takes place in, it begins in 1617 in an Arctic Norwegian village. Whoa. Yes. This is based on a true story. This little island town relies heavily on fishing 
and they do have some crops that they grow in the summer, but heavily, heavily fishing. And the men fish. Well, the men are out to sea one day, and I think it's I think it's on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and a storm comes in and wipes out all the men who are fishing for their their holiday. And so it's they they leave behind this village of women. And the women are left to their own devices for, I think it takes about two years for them to install some man, you know, who's going to like fix everything. But the women figured out, you know, a couple in particular are really strong. And one of them puts on men's trousers and says, we need fish. We got to go out there. Let's do this, you know, and takes the nets and gathers up some women and they go and they are able to feed themselves. But when the men land finally, and they install this, I don't know what he's called, you know, then all hell breaks loose. And well, he wouldn't see it that way. (laughs) But he brings with him the superstition of the witches, or the presence of witches. So he's coming from Scotland and Bergen, like up through Bergen. And he's left Scotland at a time when they were starting to persecute women for witchcraft. And so when he arrives in this village, which has some of the Sami population, which Mm -hmm. is the native population in northern Scandinavia, who are more reliant on the land and nomadic and self-sustaining and non-Christian, he sees this reliance the self-reliance as a cause for witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And his young wife is really caught between her husband's power and what she sees as independence that she's never witnessed before. So it's got a lot of turmoil happening, very readable, pretty fast read. I very much enjoyed it as as an escape, you know, even though it is based on a real event, it was well told and well imagined and what their life was like and how they survived. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Even though it's, you know, persecuting women for knowing what to do with herbs and putting on trousers. Yeah. So that that's that's what I've been reading. Short list for it's three fine. weeks, but Alas, that's where we're at. It is not a competition. Nope, it's not. But we, speaking of competitions, though. Yes. So, may I tell you about our podcast listeners who have submitted sent surveys back to me? Yes, please. Okay. So, we had 21 surveys come back from our podcast listeners. I suspect there are a fair bit more out there that haven't come back yet. So <laughs> like, Mon- my hand. like Monica's. Um, so maybe we'll do another drawing in a couple months when we get some more back. No hurry if you still have yours. I have lots of material to work with right now. And in fact, I would like to tell you just shortly what some of our listeners' favorite places are. Cool. New Zealand, for sure. Cyprus, Ireland, New Orleans, Whitstable. Is that how you pronounce it? Whitstable, England. I don't know. Scotland. United States National Parks. Mm. Visby, Sweden. Adelaide, which is in South Australia. New York City. Portugal. Switzerland. Greece. London. Any coast. (laughs) I love that answer. Moab, which is a national park in Utah. I think so. Uh, Catalina Island, which is off the coast of California, and Paris. Paris is, Mm. I think, one of the more popular responses that I'm getting. A couple places that our listeners want to go include Iceland, Japan from many people, Italy from many people, Round Top, Texas, you know who you are, (laughs) Greece, Alaska, and Morocco. So, of our 21 respondents, our winner, 
Her favorite place is in Wyoming, where she has a home, a second home. And she really wants to visit the Field Museum in Chicago. And that is Joe Waller. Yay! So, Joe or Mia, who's probably listening, get in touch with me and we will get Joe her sweatshirt. Mia's her daughter. Yep. So we need, uh, yeah, size and address. I think I have her address because I sent her a survey. Oh, yeah, that would but, make sense. <laughs> um, but a size, yes, would be great. So congratulations, Joe, and thank you so much, everyone, for your awesome responses. It is super exciting to get Yay. them in the mail, and I can't wait to paint them. Yep, so those are our winners. That's all the giveaways we're doing right at the moment. If you do still want a hoodie, we do still have them. Um, so we're thinking if you are willing to pay for the shipping, that we were happy to send you one. Um, we need to figure out what the shipping cost is, and we will let you guys know next time, or we'll maybe post it on Instagram as well. Um, but let us know if you would like one still, because they're really nice. They're super cozy. <laughs> super cozy and soft. And I think that is it for now. Whew. Next time we'll probably be a little shorter, because we won't have... Three weeks? We'll only have one week. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for chatting with us. Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.